Good morning. Um, Our New Testament reading is from Luke. It's chapter 18, and it's verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? All right. We are continuing in Ruth. And uh, we are in Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, but before we get into that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you be with us? Holy Spirit, be at work in our hearts. Jesus, open our eyes to see what you have for us in your word. We pray these in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, do we have any musical fans out there? Yeah, we've got a few, like a whole row of them right here. I'm not too familiar with all the musicals, unless it's a Disney movie. Um, I I, I watch a lot of Disney movies. My kids are young. Uh, You know, I know that one. uh, I've seen some of it, not all of it, but you know the Oklahoma where the wind blows, (laughs) right? You know that one? The scene that we are coming on right here in Ruth, it's almost like the opening of a good musical you, you see, uh, as we start, you see that there are these workers out among the barley, and here they are cutting the barley, and the women are coming behind them and picking it up and putting it in, in bundles, and I don't know, maybe they were out there singing, maybe they had a, a barley harvesting song, I, I don't know, you know, the sun is, is shining and, and glistening off, the, off of the, the barley there, and, and it just looks golden and, and beautiful, and, and it's this really idyllic scene. And then Boaz comes from the city and he comes out to his field and he gets there and and he's walking up and he sees this scene and it says that Boaz came and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. And then he's there and he sees this scene and he's talking to them and he's watching and then he looks over and what does he see? He sees a woman standing there waiting. She's waiting. And he looks and he says, "Um, whose young woman is this? You see, Ruth, if you read through this and you're reading very quickly, it seems like uh, she was out there and she got out there early and she started working and she started going at it, but that's not what what really happened. Verse 3 is a summary verse for the day. And remember, we've talked about how this is a true 
a true short story. And in a short story, you get things like that. Let me give you a summary of the day, and now let's narrow in and look at the scene. And so here she is. She has already come out to the field, and we learn from uh, the foreman that she has come out to the field and she has made a request. Read in verse 5 where Boaz uh, asks about her and then in verse 6 and 7 where the foreman makes his request. He says, Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. And then he says this, So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. That is better translated to basically say, So she came, and she's been waiting here this whole time. Why is she waiting? Why is she waiting? Why doesn't she get out there and start gleaning? We know something about gleaning. If you look in uh, Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10, you, you read about it. It's in Deuteronomy as well. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. In other words, leave a little bit. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And then it says that these are for the poor and the sojourner and uh, in Deuteronomy for the widow. So in other words, leave something on the edges and if you drop it on the way to a pile, leave it there. Don't reach back and pick it up. Those are the gleanings. And typically what would happen is if you were coming and you needed to glean, you could either go straight to the edges or the corners of the field and you could start cutting some things down. But maybe you can't do that, or, or maybe there's not enough there. And so what you do is you let the workers get ahead, and then you can kind of come up behind them, and you can pick up what they have dropped. Ruth is waiting because she asks to glean among the sheaves right behind the workers. In other words, in other words what Ruth is saying is, here are the workers right here. Here are the women picking it up and bundling. I want to be right there. I, I, want, to, I want to be right there with them. I want to grab it. I don't want them to get too far. I, I need to pick it up right away. And she is probably making this request because she's feeding two people. She's trying to get more. She doesn't want to wait until maybe something blows away. Maybe somebody else gets it. So she wants to be right there. And so here is the reason she's waiting. She's waiting because for a Moabite especially, it is a very bold request. You know how we like our customs and our traditions, right? Any of you seen Fiddler on the Roof, another great musical? How does he say they keep their balance like a fiddler on the roof? Tradition. And here, Ruth has come and she has said, I want to go past the tradition. I want to go past what is typically done. I, I, I know it's a bold request, but I want to be right there, picking up right among the sheaves, right where these people are, a little bit, a little bit behind them, but not so far back. And so this, uh, this foreman has to tell her 
uh, either he tells her no and she stays, or he tells her, this is not my decision. I can't decide this for you. You need to wait. And so another way to translate this is to say that, uh, you know, it says she has continued from early morning until now. Uh, maybe a more literal translation would be, she practically lives here, waiting to talk to the manager. Now, she's not waiting to talk to Boaz in a, in a mean-spirited way or anything like that. She's waiting to give her request. And so Boaz comes over. Now, we've talked a little bit about, about Israelites and the Moabites and how there's generally this clash and how Israel had been told, stay away from them. And so I don't know what the workers were expecting as Boaz walks over to her. I suspect they already knew his character. And here, Ruth is putting her hope in his character or maybe in the character of God to, to soften his heart. But Boaz comes up to her and look at what he says beginning in verse 8. <clears throat> Remember what Ruth asked for and remember what he's, look at what he says. Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz comes to her, and he doesn't say scram. He doesn't say, well, you've waited for nothing. He doesn't even say, sure, I'll give you exactly what you've asked for. What he does is he comes and he says, my daughter. Right? He's showing concern. It's humanizing. He's, he's, he is speaking to her as if she was family. He's recognizing her as joining herself into the people of Israel, not as a Moabite. And then he says, I want you to stay in this field. Don't go to that field. Stay in this field. In fact, I want you to stay with my women. I want you to be right up there next to them as they're putting these things in bundles. And then he says, no one's going to lay, lay a hand on you. And when you're thirsty, I want you to drink from the water that has already been drawn. You see, here comes Ruth, and she waits and she asks for what she thought she needed. She thinks that she needs extra food. That's all I need. I need extra food. I need to be right up there. I'm gathering for two. Here is what she thinks she needed. But Boaz knows more, and he gives her what she truly needs. He gives her what she truly needs. And in doing that, he's caring not just for her stomach. He's caring for her body and for her soul. You see, she is only thinking of the physical need, but Boaz is giving her more. He's giving her dignity in meaningful work. He's giving her peace of mind in, in that safety. You, you know what happens when you don't feel safe, right? There's some chemicals that start flooding through your body, and it starts changing the way your, your body is reacting. That stress has an impact on you. He's giving her safety. He's giving her that peace of mind, knowing that she has a place to come back to. He's even giving her some special status and, and belonging. And he's taking this, this foreigner and he's lifting her up. He's elevating her and her status. And then there is this, this great reversal that happens here. You see, normally the person who would draw water for the men in the field would be the foreign woman. And what does he do? He says, even though you're a foreigner, I, I'm going to have the men draw the water and you can come 
and you can have some of that. He is showing her incredible, incredible honor. So here we see in verse 10, Ruth drops down. It says, she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? In other words, why are you treating me like you know me? is the way some would translate that. Why are you treating me like you know me? And he says there in verse 11, that everything that you've done, everything you've been doing, I've been told all about it. And so the Lord repay you. And then we see this incredible thing in verses 14 through 16. And it says, At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also... Pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So not only has he come and given her what she needs, then they sit down and he gives her a meal and she eats and she has leftovers. And then when she gets up and gets back at work, he tells his men, I want to provide even a little more for her. And if you see her picking something up, don't rebuke her. Let her have it. It's there for her. At the end of the day, we, we find this out uh, in verse uh, 17. At the end of the day, she goes home with about 30 pounds worth of barley, which would be enough to feed two people for, for around a month. So now she's not just getting enough, she's getting more than enough. She, she is getting what she needs to, to share with Naomi, maybe even to sell some. And as we read through this, we see his incredible generosity. It might not be obvious to us unless we know some of that history, but he has this incredible generosity to her. And the question is, why does he do this? Why does he do this for her? Why is he showing so much generosity to this foreign widow? Now, let me just tell you straight up front, he is not trying to find a wife, okay? That's not what this book is about. He is not trying to find a wife. The language is clear. The way she refers to him, the way he refers to her, it's showing this this division, this, this social separation. He's not trying to find a wife. They're being very proper. He is not trying to look good to his workers. He is not trying to build his reputation up with them. In fact, this might do just the opposite because she is a Moabite woman. They, they might have a little bit of a hard time with this. He's not trying to look good to the workers. He is not trying to earn anything with anyone because Ruth has nothing to offer. No status, no money, no reputation. His reasoning, his reasoning, it's kind of like, um, I, I saw a video the other day of these kids out in the yard with their dog and the dad picks up the bone and he throws it and the dog goes over and the dog picks it up and then this kid comes over and the dog drops the bone and then the kid bends down and picks it up with his mouth and takes it back to the dad. Why is he doing that? He's doing it because this is what the dog would do, right? Boaz, look in, look in uh, verse 12 here. What does he say? He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. The Lord repay you for what you have done. 
Boaz is doing this. My paraphrase would be, he is doing this because this is what the Lord would do. She comes and, she, and he says what he's going to do. She drops down and says, why have I found this favor? And he says, I am giving you this favor. I'm doing this because this is what the Lord would do for you. He sees himself as acting on the Lord's behalf, even if it's just a little piece of it. Boaz wants to do what the Lord would have done. And so here Ruth asks for what she thinks she needs to be satisfied. Boaz gives her what she really needs to be satisfied. He gives it abundantly, and then he invites her to his table until she is satisfied with more room, more left over. So we know why he's doing it. Now the question is, did he get it right? Did Boaz get it right? Is this what the Lord would have done? Well, when we look back in in the law and we see all of the law for widows, we know that, that, that there is a minimum of what the Lord would have at least done, but Boaz goes beyond that. And so I think what we really need to do if we want to ask, did Boaz get it right, is look ahead to Jesus and see what do we see with Jesus? You heard a little bit about how, how Jesus is talking about making requests and responding to requests. You see that with the widow who's asking for justice, right? Pray and don't lose heart. Go out into the field and stand there until you get an answer because God is gracious and compassionate and he loves you. Go out and stand in that field. Pray and don't, don't give up heart. We see Jesus with the the fish and the loaves, right? And he's feeding the people and he multiplies them. And what does it say at the end? It It says that they had enough food and they had more left over. Eat until you're satisfied and I will give you more left over. We see this in the Lord's Prayer, this concern for body and soul, just like Boaz had. We see, um, give us this day our daily bread, right? Here's my body, here's what I need, and... Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. That's the best sound in a church, by the way. Lead us not into temptation. Care for the soul. Care for the body and soul. So it is good to ask for the things that we need. It is good and right to ask for the things that we need. And we begin to see a little bit of the Lord's response. But but here's what I want us to focus in on. Ruth is asking for what she thinks she needs. Boaz is giving her what she really needs. She is asking for what she thinks she needs. Boaz is giving her what she really needs. And I think this is where he really got it right. Look uh, look ahead at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you look in Mark chapter 10, we learn that, that yes, God wants us to ask for the things we need. God is going to provide what we need. Uh, He is going to provide abundantly for what we need. I I just heard a story this week about how God abundantly provided for someone who's struggling with finances, and they got turned down on one, and then then God comes in and overwhelmingly provided for them when they, they thought nothing would happen. God provides for what we need, but we need to be careful of God if you would just... God, if you would just look at this in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee came up to him, Jesus, and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he very wisely said, 
what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking for. Be careful of God if you would just. Here they come and they think they need power and authority and respect and all of this kind of thing. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, you don't know what you're asking for. Jesus is always going to give what you really need. And here they come and he says, you don't know what you're asking for. But we do the same thing, don't we? We come and we ask for what we think we need to be satisfied. And we bring it to him with this idea of, God, if you would just make my teacher be nice. God, if you would just get that other person to quit. They're annoying. They're bothering me. I can't do my job. God, if you would just give me a million dollars. God, if you would just, if you would just, if you would just, then I would be satisfied. If you would just do what I ask. Now, the world says this too. And if we think about it, the world does this too. They say the same thing as the serpent. If he really loved you, he would give you what you're asking for, right? Uh, you'd be rich. You'd never be hurt. Life would always be a vacation. If, if he really loved you, he would give you what you're asking for. But every parent in here knows that's a lie. If your six-year-old comes up to you and asks for scissors, and they're holding on to their sister's hair, are you going to give them what they're asking for? No. But we say, give me what I ask for. Listen, if Jesus really loves you, he will give you what you really need. Even if it's different than what you're asking for. Here, Ruth is getting what she's asking for and more. And that happens. Sometimes what he gives us is something different than we need. Because we pray or we ask and we say, God, if you would just. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. Because maybe that mean teacher is going to strengthen your character or teach you about loving unlovable people. Maybe that coworker can teach you to love enemies or, or how to stay in your lane or how to whatever it is you need to do. Um, maybe you haven't considered what a million dollars would do to your soul. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for, but I am going to give you what you need. And then he does it abundantly. We can see this in him we can find not just meaning in work, but joy in work. In him, we can find not just tolerance for enemies, but love for enemies. More than that. In him, we can find not just endurance through pain, but we can find Jesus himself. We can learn reliance on him through any circumstance, even the worst ones. It's kind of like John and Betty Stam. They were missionaries to China in the 1930s, and they, they got there to China, and they, they had their baby there with them. And then there was a communist uh, wave that came through the part of the country they were in. And the people came, and they were trying to get them out before the communists uh, got there, but they were too late. Their baby survived, but they were put to death as martyrs because they would not turn from the good news of the gospel but here's what happened. Here's what happened. As news of their death came out, what happened is hundreds and hundreds of new missionaries got up and they said, then we will go. 
we will go and we will spread the news of the gospel to these people. And today, that, that work has continued even before the stamps were there so that the underground church in China, whatever's going on, the underground church in China is stronger than it has ever been. We, we understand what the stamps were thinking, what they were working on in their minds and hearts when we read her words. She says, when we consecrate ourselves to God, We think we are making a great sacrifice and doing lots for him when really we are only letting go some little bitsy trinkets we have been grabbing. And when our hands are empty, he fills them with his treasures. Jesus knows what we really need. Jesus knows what we really need and what we need most is him. Take away reputation, take away health, take away money. Who do you still have? Jesus. And he does this because he knows that's what we really need most. And here's what is incredible. You see, Ruth Ruth responds to this grace from Boaz, and she says, why are you acting like you know me? And he says, well, they told me what you did. But you see, Jesus, Jesus knows us because he formed us. Jesus knows us, and he loves us. Look, it is easy to know someone and not love them, It is easy to love someone and not know them. But Jesus does both, and he does it completely. And then he invites us to a meal at his table where we can eat and be satisfied, and there is always more. And so how should we respond? Ruth falls to her face in gratitude and says, Why me? And it is that same for us. We fall to to our faces in gratitude and say, why me? And then we hear his voice say, because I love you. And you think, but he doesn't know. Yes, yes, he does. He knows and he loves you. And as we begin to dwell on that, as we begin to dwell on that, our hearts begin to change. We begin to value the right things. And even our requests, even our prayers become different because we cherish Jesus most of all so much that we would say, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You know this song? And when I am alone, sing it with me. Oh, when I am alone, and when I am alone, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Have all this world, but give me Jesus. And when I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts, and you hear our prayers, and you love us more than we can know. You know us better than we know ourselves. 
And God, today we come boldly before you and say, give us Jesus. Give us Jesus. Because you are the one we need. Give us Jesus. Shape our hearts to love you more. Lord, let our hearts adore you more than anything else in this world. It's in your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you please stand?